when he got in our large robot suit and started making sound effects as he was tromping across the field, I knew they would be a good. Oh, addition. that was that was that was where like that was when the switch went off and they put that helmet on. And I walked out there. I'm like, this is what I'm doing with the rest of my life. I want this. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of 321 Lay On. I'm Ashton Ruby, and with me is my brother, Evan Ruby. Hello. And this is a podcast about live action role playing. It's for those who LARP and those who have never LARPed. We're trying to build the community and meet new people, and Evan and I just have really enjoyed getting back into LARP recently, and we're learning a lot more and a lot's changed since we first started, so it's been great seeing what's out there and what's going on these days. Joining us today um, are a couple of guys from a game called Ruins of Destiny in Cambridge, New York. We have Levi and Armand. Welcome, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Why don't you, uh, Levi, you start off and uh, introduce yourself and let us know who you are and go from there. Absolutely, with pleasure. My name is Levi Wargo. I've been LARPing for 22 years now. Wow. And uh, I'm a carpenter and craftsman by trade, but uh, I spend all of my free time making costumes and, and uh, doing this whole LARP thing. I have some background in costume design and set design, and that's certainly helped me out uh, to create this game. Oh, nice. Um, my name's Armand. Uh, I've been LARPing coming up on six years. Runes of Destiny was actually my, uh, my first foray into the world of live action role playing. Um, I spent a lot of, I have no, you know, official background in anything, but I have a great love of cosplay and kind of making things in art in general. So I like to think I could bring that over. Nice. Is that, uh, how you guys met? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, just more or less by chance. I had a friend who participated in the original kind of iterations of the game and he said i should come and i showed up and played for a while and kind of came on cast and now we're now we're here nice when he got in our large robot suit and started making sound effects as he was tromping across the field i knew they would be a good oh that was that was (laughs) that was where like that was when the switch went off and they put that helmet on and i walked out there i'm like this is what i'm doing with the rest of my life i want this It's, it's nice to know that moment. Uh, Levi, how did, you, how did you get into LARPing? When did you first uh, hear about it and get into it? When I was, when I thought I started the whole thing, pretty much, you know, I would, uh, I would get kids back, uh, probably eighth grade together, and uh, do these um, themed hikes in full costume, where we would have a goal to get to, and I would set up um, different things throughout the woods, and we'd go on like a full day hike. Um, and uh, we finally figured out that that fighting with real metal weapons was dangerous to your health. We would try to come up with other ways to uh, to do that. So we went through wooden weapons and still got broken fingers and mm. and uh, continued on to wrapping ski poles and pipe insulation. And um, lo and behold, other people had been doing the same thing as us around the, the uh, country and had a little bit better methods. So um, I got into... Uh, Crayathorn, uh, which is an upstate New Hampshire uh, kind of random weekly um, event that goes on. Uh, of course, uh, I tried out Nero for a little while um, and I uh, spent a bunch of time, actually seven years in Mythical Journeys, 
um, both casting and uh, playing. So that was my background before Ruins of Destiny. Nice. How long has Ruins of Destiny been running? Ruins of Destiny has been, let's see, our first official game was July 2012, so it's been going on for six years now. Uh, Why don't you give us a quick, you know, sort of the elevator speech of someone who is familiar with LARP, uh, maybe even the setting, but, uh, you know, in a nutshell, what is Ruins of Destiny? Yeah, sure. Um, Ruins of Destiny, I tried to create a world that was not of this world. Um, It is not medieval fantasy, and it wouldn't be considered uh, a post-apocalyptic America, but I tried to put something somewhere in between the two. Um, You have great houses that... uh, that are warring and through their greed they decided they ended up destroying the world and uh so after a period of devastation um players find themselves in a world that is slowly awakening um and there are remnants of the old golden age um that are still quite hostile so um players will find themselves up against things such as robots mute mutations um, raiders, uh, and will find themselves allied with, uh, sometimes the same thing. Uh, they'll find themselves allied with scientists and, and cultures that have, uh, found society deep underground. And, um, it's really a, a survival type of scenario. Oh, cool. The way he kind of sells it a lot is, um, uh, basically anything but magic. There's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of great, like there's there's a lot of great source material to pull from, without straying into a medieval fantasy setting. And there's a lot of steampunk, diesel punk, some fun sci-fi, even a little kind of medieval style. But there's no magic, no wizardry. It's all science in its inception. Cool. Is that kind of your favorite kind of setting? You know, not just LARP, but in books, it's movies, games. That way. I yeah. mean, uh, yeah, I mean, some of my some of my background inspirations were like J.R. Tolkien, of course, and uh, and uh, sort of Sonara series, and um, you know. But then when uh, you, you have to bring in Mad Max, uh, Beyond Thunderdome, and and uh, Road Warrior, and and that that type of fascination with uh, surviving in a world of chaos has always been Mm -hmm. something interesting to me. So it's less, I think the specific setting and uh, more that surviving amongst chaos that has always interested me. That's cool. So the game get pretty chaotic or (laughs) I within a safety bounds. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole, one of the things that I've, uh, I tell my cast members is that, um, we're really illusionists. Uh, we want to create that illusion of chaos and, and, and bring about the feeling that there really is something to be afraid of, but really it's all under control. Um, sure. so that's some of our struggle with the game. You know, you want to have, you want to have somebody feel like a, a three ton boulder is going to drop on them, but, uh, you obviously can't drop a three ton boulder on them. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, there's, there's that illusion that we're trying to create constantly. Um, and then, you know, you always have to have an eye, like uh, all of our, we don't have, uh, we don't have monitors in our game. There's nobody standing there saying, nope, you hit too hard or no, you got to take that shot or, 
or uh, no, that's illegal. I mean, our cast members um, are that when they're in the midst of playing um, and uh, pretty much everybody monitors themselves. So it's an honor system. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's constantly people keeping their eye out for safety, but you have to have that level of chaos in order to feel like you're surviving something. Right. Your uh, player base, How um, what's that kind of look like? Paint a picture for us. Uh, how big and what kind of people and larping experiences or the it's it's a pretty big variety i mean i started the game for my two daughters um and so that was back when kids were 15 years old um and uh she's we had some beans and we finally had to uh put the age limit at at 13 years old because you know kids younger than that just don't get the concept but i want Mm. everybody to have fun but um you know, you have to have a certain amount of immersion. And and, uh, and so what that did, that ended up uh, being great because now, you know, six years later, they're 20, 21 years old and, and they're thoroughly addicted. So um, it works out great. <laughs> Good work. So, yeah. uh, we've kind of kept the age, you know, we, we, we try to uh, make sure that no real 13-year-olds get in if they have to have the, the personality of a... a, a to fit the game, but we do have a large variety of age groups. And uh, I think, uh, well, I'm, I'm 37 now. Um, and, uh, I've been trying to get more adults in, but primarily all our age group is around 20 years old, 21 years old. It's been, it's been crazy kind of watching the players grow up because I'm in that same age group, but it's been weird every, every year and they come back and they're, you know, the costumes a bit bigger and they look a bit older and they've picked something up along the way. It's actually, it's a very rewarding experience kind of watching just how they kind of have adapted throughout the years. Yeah, that's cool. At the game we're playing, there's a family. It's, it's a guy, he's in his mid forties, I think. And he had kids young. So I think all of his kids, all four of them are playing, actually, and the youngest is uh, 14, I think. Yeah. He's pretty tall, so he, he fits in well. Um, and a few of us were joking about, like, <laughs> like how kind of mature he is, and this is a good activity for him to be in. We're like, yeah, I remember the things I was doing at 14. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, so. Yeah, the variety of age is, is great, because um, especially with a, if if the role play is designed on figuring out problems and puzzles, every brain has a different way of looking at it, you know? And, uh, so you have a large variety of, of age groups. You have multiple different facets that, that you can play off of. Mm-hmm. And heavily female dominated too, for many We years. are heavily female dominated. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah? Like uh, almost to a ridiculous extent. And a lot of them are harder fighters than some of the guys are. So it's, it, I don't know how that happened. That was not by intent, but I, maybe it's because I started it uh, for my daughters and all of their friends got involved with it. But. No, that's really cool. The staff at our game, I know I keep bringing it up, but that's what we're playing right now. Anyway, the staff at our game has, um, it's almost split, I think, because uh, it's a lot of yeah. couples. A lot of them are probably some of the best fighters, and <laughs> yeah. make, make the best costumes and really, really good like role players. Uh, so yeah, it's a pretty good mix. Yeah. In our game too, and we have a cat. We with our class system, you know, I, I I shied away from starting with a class system, but having um, uh, we have a for your listeners a fighter, scout, uh, tinker, and and chemist for our class system. 
Um, as you can see, there's really only one fighter-based um, class in that. All the rest of them, um, with the scout, you can choose to fight or you can choose to sneak. And um, with your uh, tinker, you can choose to put on that heavy armor and, and make that heavy armor and go out and, and be a fighter. Or you can uh, choose to be uh, more of a merchant and stay behind. And then the same thing with our, our chemist, uh, the skills that are involved in it. You can either be almost a battle mage with our chemists, or you can sit back and be your medieval fantasy cleric and be more of a healer. So there pretty much is a facet for every single type of person um, in that. Nice. Does it tend to be kind of, as far as role-playing versus combat, a good mix or lean a little heavier one way or the other? Uh, it really depends on the event. We'll have events where you know, we need to get the plot out and um, so what I do is I switch everybody to doing uh, miniature personal plots. So they'll go out and center in on a, a few people and, and um, kind of feed some information or really go into their backstories. Um, we usually try to have at least two good sized battles every single uh, event. But I, you know, I've been to the role plays where all it is, is, is a role play for stick jocks. And um, it's, <laughs> there's nothing that really brings the immersion in. There's nothing that really brings the world alive. So I tend to s to stay away from having it solely combat based. But then on the other hand, if you sit there and role play, you might as well be doing tabletop. And there's a lot of people that enjoy the uh, enjoy the role play. But you know you got to have that action in order to make it live action mm -hmm. role play. No, yeah, that's a great point. So you mentioned. Uh doing like individual backstories or your events that happen or do they tend to be more large group or everyone there involved or do smaller groups go out and do events on their own? Yeah. So uh, what I, I guess the best way to answer that is, is kind of bring you into our cast meeting uh, ahead of time. Um, we have our, our year kind of laid out of where we would like to go because we're very environment based. We build a lot of props. We build a lot of modules, um, things like that. And so we have to have some sort of direction, but that we have a saying that if a, if a player can screw it up, they will, because you know, it has to be based upon the player's action and you can put a neon sign saying, push this button and they will go through the entire module <laughs> and not see that button. I think we've actually done that. I think, we <laughs> I think that actually, actually happened. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you can make all the plans you need, and it's still, you know, um, you still have to come back down onto ad lib and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, spur of the moment role playing. But, anyways, it, so we have a basic itinerary of what we want to put out. Uh, that is the overall uh, large structure of the plot. But then we specifically put uh, just blank areas into our schedule for um, that I kind of assign some of our cast members, okay, who are you going to take this, this event? You got to take somebody different every event so that we're constantly switching faces, but we need you to write some miniature plot that's either based off of the person's backstory or based off of the person's weaknesses or strengths and really take them out and make them feel like their character's real for a little while. And uh, so right now, 
we haven't hit over, I mean, we're just barely hitting 30 people that's cast and player included. Um, and so we can still do that. We can still kind of, uh, I think, uh, see, uh, we're, we're sticking around 15, 14 cast members. So we're pretty much a 50, 50, uh, matchup. So, uh, even though a lot, the vast majority of our cast members are not what we call senior cast, um, we can still kind of center on players and give them that immersion role-playing experience. Nice. Yeah, I'm not sure how big our group is. It's probably a little bit bigger than that. I believe we had 50, or pretty close to 51 event. That was pretty big. Nice. Could be exaggerating, but it seemed like one event, there was just a whole lot of people both playing and NPCing, and all the staff is, staff is what, 10 or 12 people, right? Yeah. It's amazing what you can do with that amount of people because you have, right. you know, regeneration, you have, you can disappear and then come back in as something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if the costume setups are, are great because you can disappear behind a screen and come out as something completely different. <laughs> Jeez, your games seem uh, pretty elaborate. And I, I gotta say, I love your Instagram account. Um, oh, yeah. Just yeah. looking at the costumes and the sets are like some mm-hmm. of the best I think I've ever seen. Well, thank, thank you very much. much. One of the one of the benefits, I think, is the property is actually owned by Levi, so we have the ability to do more permanent structures and more elaborate setups when we can go out, you know, like weeks in advance and prep things like this oh, is nice. where this will happen, we'll put stuff here. And it it really does help with the whole idea of, you know, the illusion and the kind of the magic of it all being able mm. to preordain certain locations and activities long ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. It's, about, it's a it's just under thirty acres, um, and it has that quality of of being kind of overgrown and and little valleys and hills and things. So it, you can take somebody a roundabout way, and it really feels like they have now traveled for half the day. Um, so that that adds into the experience quite a bit. Um, if I could, there's a suggestion I'd love to give um, a, a lot of game designers with modules. Um, we just did this the last two years. Uh, we put the money out and made big black plastic squares, all literally modulated to you know ten foot by ten foot, and then a four foot by ten foot, and a six foot by ten foot. So we can we can take apart and screw these together literally in the middle of game, and make entirely different sets in the middle of game, and have somebody come out of a portal go back into the portal and the entire set is different and uh it really helps out with uh with our module system sweet well sign me up i'm ready to go (laughs) why not (laughs) (laughs) any any more bodies is fine by us take a take a trip sometime we got four events this year nice i'll have to check guys check my schedule um, so I, you said you created it for your daughters. Um, was that kind of kind of backtracking a little bit to the iteration creation? Um, like what what made you want to start your own game, um, create your whole world and game from scratch? I guess there's a lot of different things. I'll try to center in on a couple of things. Um, you know, it's. Uh, First of all, yeah, for my kids, I want to see my kids be able to do that in a safe environment. Um, the second thing, uh, I'm a Christian, 
Um, I have certain, you know, beliefs in my faith that I kept going to role plays and it kept uh, conflicting with. And um, as much as I personally don't have a problem with with the magic systems of, of a lot of role plays, there's a lot of kids that were friends of my my kids whose parents wouldn't allow them to uh, to take part in a role play that that had any form of magic system. In it. Hmm. And so I that kind of challenged me to say. Okay, so how can we do this? How can I make, um, how can I make a role play that had no gods, uh, for example, had no magic, and uh, let's see, uh, did not celebrate some sort of uh, great evil that was constantly winning? Well, that takes like pretty much the vast majority of fun out of it, right there. <laughs> yeah. So, as much <laughs> as I don't have. Uh, the I can decipher the difference. A lot of people could not, and um, mm-hmm. and so it, it was a challenge. And it took it took three years of writing to come up with this world that was as exciting. And we had an answer for everything. I mean, you want to throw a fireball? We have an answer in science to do that. Um, you uh, you want to turn into a half cat creature? We have an answer for that. Um, you know, instead of uh, instead of necromancers raising up uh, zombies with the power of hell, we have them uh, essentially making ghouls out of people with uh, uh, genetic X, you know. And so there is an answer to every single thing that you would find in fantasy, and that was kind of a challenge that I wanted to rise up to. Um, so that was the the first thing that made me want to create my own Uh uh, another thing is there is no role plays in this area. I mean, mm-hmm. you go to Albany, that's the closest one. Uh, mm-hmm. That's it. Um, and then uh, I had a couple other. I have a couple problems with um, with other uh, role plays. I have a problem with the armor systems. Why do people wear armor when they don't get any benefits for it? That was one of my big problems with uh, with some of the role plays that I've been around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to change that. And um, I wanted to try to create a, a world that had not been thought of yet. Um, there's a lot of medieval fantasy worlds out there, and there's a lot of Mad Max post-apocalyptic worlds out of there. But what about something that's completely out of the ordinary? Um, and uh, and the other thing is, what about a, a game that evil isn't the constant antagonist? What if mankind in general was the constant antagonist? Um, you know, uh, let me, uh, make a reference to the walking dead right now. So walking dead, when they first started out, uh, you thought it was going to be this big zombie thing. Well, what turns out is that the big problem is, is the human beings in the world. They're more dangerous than any of the zombies that were in that, in that series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so trying to create that survivalistic environment where your resources are what somebody wants. Um, that was another challenge I wanted to rise up to. So that's that's a few points at least. Wow, well you got me impressed at least because those are not small challenges. And uh, yeah. <laughs> at least from what I've se- what little I've seen and read, uh, you've done a great job of it. And I mean, it's been running six Thank years, so there's mm-hmm. there's that proof in the pudding too. Yeah, people are loving it and they're getting it. Um, yeah. Now, are these um, weekend events, one-day events? So, uh, unfortunately, at the moment, we're only on one-day events. We start at okay. uh, 9 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. Okay. 
Um, I'm hoping to push that to 11 o'clock tonight this year, um, but we're taking steps. We're taking baby steps. And um, I would like to see starting Friday evening and going till Saturday night. That's my my kind of final goal. Mm-hmm. But we've got some issues uh, that we've got to iron out yet. You know, this is our first year that we're going to be registered as an LLC. And so we feel like we can, we're a little bit protected now instead of um, essentially somebody getting a stick in the eye and taking everything from us, you know? So um, yeah, there's a lot of not fun business sides of running a LARP. You don't realize necessarily before you get into it, right? I can build an entire world. I can't do paperwork, (laughs) but that's, that's been, uh, that's been an amazing amount of work that my wife has done. She's been stepping up to that and she's amazing with that. You give her a number and she can memorize it and come back with it three days later. And so she's, she's where my strengths are worlds and costumes. She, uh, she does a lot of the book work and paperwork and kind of keep me in this world a little bit. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't be done without her. That's for sure. Nice. Is uh, she play too, or is she just help out? I uh, she tends to help out more. Um, it's uh, it, she has a back injury, so she's unable mm-hmm. to do the, the uh, running around. But she she'll play some of the uh, um, less combat variety uh, characters once in a while. Nice. No, uh, you. Kind of, I think before we started rolling, uh, teased the story about uh, when you brought Armand on to help you. Uh, oh, yes. Totally up to you if you want to share. But oh, it sounded so, um, interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was at the point where you know I th- it was uh, two years ago, almost three years ago, and I was at the point that. Uh, uh, I was needing some extra help and Armand had come on and I said, okay, how about you get into what we, what, one of our robot costumes. And so he gets into it and I come around the corner and, and he's stomping through the environment, making all of the noises, all of the, the hissing steam and, and, and hydraulics whirring. And so on. So I said, this guy has got to come on permanent cast. <laughs> that was, that's probably like five years ago by now. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Was, yeah. I spent, I spent some time, like I only really actually played one game when I first came on because I was just kind of brought into the fold a bit late and I was, I showed up and I'm like, what is, what is this world and all this fun steampunky stuff? Cause at the time I knew LARP as, you know, like a medieval fantasy magic and wizards. And that was awesome. And of course there was nothing happening, but I played one game and I loved it, but there was something about fighting giant robots and, watching a human sized spider creature come crashing down a hill in the woods <laughs> that made me made the, uh, the theater kid in me go like, I gotta, yeah. I gotta get in that thing. I need to, I gotta put on like <laughs> paint and run run through the fields. So yeah. I spent a couple years kind of on like lower tier cast, just doing NPC stuff. I never really no like heavy contributions, you know, acting and stuff, but no plot stuff, no like big, big, you know, glamorous escapades into the world doing you know anything major and then i just i guess kind of like one year i started showing up more i was at every plot and cast meeting just making stuff and it just kind of 
everything kind of like worked out. I don't. It's good when you. Was, there, it, was there a process to it? I it's nice when you uh, are a game designer and you know you're pretty much lone wolfing it, and then some of these other guys. Uh, we have a couple of more um, cast members that kind of stepped up to the plate, and uh, you know you certainly can't do a world like this all by yourself. Mm. So mm-hmm. it's it's a necessity to have a crew. You can't do it by yourself. Yeah, it's certainly again our game. Uh, their strength is a really good staff um, that seem to work together well, and you know, but not afraid to uh, you know check each other or. You know, they say, I don't think that's going to work or, you know, they seem honest, but also cooperative and they're just a really creative and talented group of people. So, yeah, I mean, it, it helps it turns the game a lot. It's a group when you, yeah. when you have it. Yeah. I, I designed a lot of the original rules, but it was designed to be kind of a skeleton because uh, you want the players to add that meat to it. You want the other cast members to add that meat to it. If you, if it was just out of one person's mind, I mean, Granted, uh, the vast majority of it was was written, but then the the details of it are put on by the players and by the the cast members, and that's what you know gives it variety. That's what what uh, brings in spice to the to the storyline. I was going to ask you that about did you said you say so you made up a skeleton? What about like the lore and the full rule book? Was that uh, your staff the, or the vast majority of the lore I wrote? Um, and but we're to the point where uh, we're trying to go through each one of the major factions and introduce them. So as much as I have the outline of the lore, the characters inside of the lore um, are have yet to be filled out. So uh, like I said, it is a skeleton uh, so that we have a basis to go on. But uh, you know, I. I greatly want the input from everybody else and don't want to be the game owner that says, no, it's only going to be this way, you know, cause I, th- I think a lot of, a lot of what I personally see as making the game very immersive in a lot of ways is that much of the lore is taken from, even if they don't know it, it's taken from kind of the players and how they interact and their back histories. Cause they'll, the players will kind of write their, their character story and, where they came from and how things were there. And the cast members will, you know, will go out and will be acting and will ad lib something. And that'll kind of be added to the compendium. And over time, like each, you know, the histories of the great houses, player interactions, how characters came to be, they'll all kind of blend into this amalgam created from the ideas of the cast and the players and Levi and kind of, yeah, that's a good example, actually. Like uh, <clears throat> when we first, when we first started, you know, we're, we're very few uh, player base and and I had each one of them write up a back history. Well, some of them uh, took the initiative and wrote the town that they came from. Well, I never wrote the name of the town. They just came <laughs> up with a, a, a post-apocalyptic sounding town name. So that says, okay, well, now we need to make a map and put that town on the map. Now, what happened with that town? So you'd take stuff out of that back history, and this one of the one of the characters had a a a town that was on a lake, uh, and uh, so we were able to fit that into the lore that was already written, and um, now bring that um, that bring the map. Uh, Re- to, to more of a realistic level um, that way. That's really cool. 
So tell us a little bit about your uh, prop and weapon and armor making process. So, you know, what, what got you into it? If you saw the, if you saw what was behind me, I have about uh, 30 or 40 weapons right behind me that we're, we're getting ready for this year. Um, one of the big hurdles that we had is a lot of our players do not have their own weapons. And uh, despite all of the resources online, it seems that that people are having a hard time with the creative aspect of buying or making their own weapons. And so uh, a lot of the weapons were my own personal weapons that we started with and we just kept increasing. So you can imagine the amount of damage that 30 people can do to uh, a, a small <laughs> weapons. Yeah. Um, so... It's been one thing I would say about anybody who's interested in weapons is is try, try new things. Uh, I I was just griping to Armand the other day about uh, people not having their own weapons, and I was saying that there's all of these uh, uh, things on YouTube showing you how to make weapons. Well, I went on the other night and I looked for a good weapons tutorial to suggest, and I really honestly can't find one. Um, there's some great uh, latex weapons tutorials out there, um, but as far as our style of weapons, uh, there really isn't. Um, I, I had a problem with just about every single one. Um, and so that's tough for people to, to bring their own weapons. But I would say we use, we use a lot of the blue camp mat foam. Um, one thing that I have changed from my old role-playing is we do not put squishy tips on our weapons. Um, I've, uh, when that's uh, for people who don't know, that's when you have the closed cell foam all the way around your core, and then you get up to the tip and you stop the closed cell foam and you put about an inch to an inch and a half of open cell foam so that your thrusting tip is a little bit softer to uh, thrust into somebody with. And, um, well, I, I had a problem with that because I feel that they do, they, they provide leverage to cause more damage to the weapon than if you just put a double layer of, of uh, closed cell foam around it. So things like that, in little innovations on glue that we use. Um, we use a lot of contact cement. We use a lot of expanding spray foam. Um, I still am very partial to duct tape because it's smooth. It doesn't abrade your skin. Um, I, I still hold to the five eighths at very least five eighths of, of padding before your core. Um, I've converted a vast majority of my weapons over to, uh, carbon fiber, um, whether it be tight rod or, uh, best sources, um, you know, golf clubs saw the top off and you can make a nice core that way. Uh, I just got a great deep sea fishing rod out of a dumpster and made the large sword that I've ever seen. It's it's horrific in how amazing it is. It puts everything we have on the field to shame and terrifies me to no end. And I love it. Oh, I typically awesome. don't do the anime style swords, but uh, no, it's worth it. This is <laughs> this is definitely worth it. We're very much into realistic looking weapons, um, mm -hmm. but. We're going into this world called Adelberg, which is, it, it kind of feels like uh, the ancient knights and, and dwarven culture of J.R. Tolkien. Um, 
and uh, they their back history is mining and uh, fortification and big heavy armor. And uh, we have a, a crystal called Penetrate. And so I decided to make it a, just a gigantic crystal uh, greatsword out of this. And it, it's going to be a blast. But um, I don't know. Do you have any questions about weapons or costumes? Well, I mean, that's probably one of the things Evan and I have gotten into like pretty heavily having uh, got back into LARPing because um, we enjoyed it a lot. So we started when we were in high school, you know, over a decade ago. Um, and we just love that part. Um, yeah, like you said, uh, the, the pipe insulation, the PVC pipe and duct tape. And we would just go <laughs> nuts making swords and hammers. and. Um, if only you still had that first sword I that know, you made, right? right? Exactly. I- <laughs> we had that conversation might have been on the podcast that evan had made this giant hammer and it looked kind of like a giant tack hammer or something um, and we don't know what happened to it or our mom got tired of it being in her basement every time she moved or something and threw it away yeah, that's exactly what happened it would be great to hold up against your weapons of nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my first weapons we would put the pipe insulation around a piece of uh, PVC, you know, and then spiral wrapping that duct tape. And so it would compress that duct tape down to about a quarter of an inch around that three quarter inch PVC. Mm. And we would wonder why, you know, we would have bloody noses and, and things like that. <laughs> it was just ruthless. <laughs> yeah. We've come a long way since those barbaric days. <laughs> yeah. I just saw a video on YouTube, a guy making, it was in Europe. Um, I don't know if it was, I think it's technically LARP, but it was more of like a fast and hard combat style sparring kind of thing rather than a, you know, sword and sorcery buffer style. Um, But that's how he did it. He, yeah, like spiral wrapped it around and he might have put another layer of cloth or something over it. Some rags. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'll that'll, that'll absorb the blow. We'll be fine. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we... Our role play is is uh, a medium combat. I mean, it's it's definitely not light touch. Um, okay. And I tell players when they first come in, you will get hit. I mean, if you are a combat, if you, unless you're a non-combat character, you can be expected to get hit. And uh, and but we don't want to go to the level of unsafe as and do heavy combat because now you have injuries. Um, mm-hmm. But we do this. Uh, for example, I've been in role plays where they tap you three times in the back and you're dead. And uh, there's just no realism to. There's no. First of all, there's no chance to play the injury, and that's mm-hmm. a big thing. Like you get, you, I mean, you, you take a, a scratch to the arm, it's going to hurt. And uh, we really encourage people to play out those injuries. Our cast definitely do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so. When you start getting into the ultra light uh, touch buffer combat, there's that temptation to do the the machine gun hits and yeah. and uh, these fast combat that just it as much as uh, you know the SCAers will argue well it's not real combat well if you fight if you sit there and cross swords with these uh, padded weapons for a half an hour and you're out of breath guess what you've just done some form of combat it might not <laughs> sure. be real medieval combat but it might not be like actual technical broadsword but it's its own style and um in order to do that you need to have at least a little bit of 
of ruthlessness to it. So uh, we do allow medium level combat. And of course that depends on the player that you're combating. You know, there's definitely, you have to make that uh, assumption. You have a four foot little, little girl standing in front of you. You don't baseball that swing them and, and knock them into the wall. <laughs> but however, as you can see on some of our videos, um, there is people who, you know, uh, that they like the heavy combat and we'll pick them up and wrestle them and, and throw them around and they love it. That's a, I think that's also, that's a good part about, um, a good quality in a lot of the cast is that they can kind of pick up on which of the players are very into the combat, which of the players kind of shy away. And there are some players who are very acrobatic and intense. And you know that if you grab them by the collar and, you know, tell them you're going to throw them, they will vault themselves. They'll jump over walls. <laughs> they'll jump through paneling. We've, we've broken a great deal of set work because we could not reach the, the dramatic <laughs> and intense head dive through a wall. But it's only specific players. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's that, like three. That brings us to the costume. You know, uh, you're asking us about costume. We, all our costumes are essentially combat puppets. I mean, you get inside of the suit and... You know, uh, it has to be combat ready. I mean, it has to be able to take somebody uh, hitting it. It has to take you rolling in it. It has to take you potentially getting thrown through a, a fake stone wall. Um, you know, this is it, it can't be just, you know, slightly glued together um, with or put together with scotch tape. It needs to be pretty rustic. And that's a big challenge that we've learned to to deal with everything is reinforced. Um, and, uh, you know, what I used to play in medieval fantasy, they kind of had this, uh, hoity toity aspect that everything had to be real chain mail and, uh, real plate armor and, uh, real leather armor. And, uh, it's just, first of all, it, it squelches the creative ability for somebody I would rather have a good-looking game and have somebody come in foam, EVA foam armor than having somebody come in a, a... The only thing I could find was a trench coat at a thrift store, and that's all their costume is, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so we have a lot of EVA foam armor, but as you can see from our, our pictures, it looks good. And so uh, it's it, it, it adds to the immersion. But they really need to be rough because eva foam you know tears and pulls apart and and so there's been a lot of work and uh figuring out how we can reinforce it um what type of glues to use um what type of backing a lot of them have different fiber backing on them um and even with our weapons we're starting to learn how to use different fibers inside of the foam in order to add hmm. uh, strength to our weapons interesting pro tip <laughs> Yeah. Okay, yeah. Go out and find yourself yeah. a fiberglass mat and some spray adhesive, the most hardcore spray adhesive that you can find. And you can take that fiberglass and bond it to your foam and you'll find that your foam doesn't rip now because it has this fiberglass backing. But the fiberglass mm. is is uh, is strong, but it doesn't get sharp. And first of all, it's inside of your foams. Um, but it's because you're using a, a spray adhesive, it stays rubbery and uh, it doesn't run in the risk of, of cutting somebody or something like that. 
Another another good pro tip is uh, find someone who's been doing this for a while and then leech all the information <laughs> off of them. Because um, I've had the luxury of kind of you know training basically under under Levi, and by that I mean I have stolen his twenty plus years of knowledge and <laughs> circumnavigated all of the issues he has run into. Nice. Like I can I was able to jump from you know pool noodles on PVC to some rather nice blades, and he was he would be able to say you know I. Don't don't use that. It's going to fall apart and stab somebody, kind of thing. So, <laughs> finally, somebody who wants to yeah. learn how to use foam. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Let us know when you're having uh, training days or what, what do they call those master classes? You know. <laughs> so in the video I watched, it looked like the combat was almost uh, like stage fighting. Like you mentioned, this- like some people like to get thrown around. Was this by any chance a video of a man in gray armor throwing another man through a wall? Wasn't sure. It may have or through a pillar, had like a uh, large mace-looking weapon. Oh yeah, that was that was me. Um, yeah, that's, that was even <laughs> emperor. So remember, <laughs> looks like you got kicked. Like someone's on so, the ground and they kick them. Uh, you just spoke yeah. about uh, certain players. Yeah. Uh, we have a few players that are yeah. stage actors, oh, and wow. they yeah, take okay. it rather yeah, well. That was. Um, that that particular player, uh, I suppose I'll name drop him. His name is Digby. Um, he is very, he very much enjoys uh, as much as we do, kind of getting like a cinematic experience in many ways. So I know that with him, he's a he's kind of a player I can approach, and he is he's just as excited to give the rest of the the PCs a show. So I can approach him and kind of say like, "Hey, I'm gonna throw you." fight me like you mean it and we can just kind of duke it out and throw each other around and kind of throw punches and whisper stuff back and forth and it won't it won't break his immersion so to answer your question yes yes that is whisper scripted <laughs> yeah. on the moment so yeah. it's not scripted ahead of time but uh we have certain mm-hmm. players that uh will do a little whisper in their ear and they will play right along with it and uh, you know, it just adds to the environment in that and way. We do also have moments um if we just kind of if like say the players are going to be entering a new place or we, we have to kill some time or we just want to make it look cool. We will do brief moments of kind of as cast, we'll kind of work out a quick, cool combat routine before the players kind of throw themselves into the fray just to make it look a bit more kind of dynamic to them. But overall, yeah, that's, that's less common than just going at it. Oh yeah. (laughs) Is there a, I guess you have a um, pretty regular group and not super large, so it's easier to know what people like and don't like or will and won't do. But is there like an indicator of someone that like doesn't want um, as much combat? Like uh, in our game, if someone isn't going to be in combat, they wear a red headband. Do you guys do anything like that? Yeah, we have a yellow band. We have yet to anybody take up the offer, though. Um, and the, the, the general consensus is you do not go overboard on combat. You don't just assume that. Uh, you have to get to know the person, and it's only people that that we've known for a long period of time that, that we feel comfortable with that we're able to really amp the combat up on. But primarily, uh, we do have we do have that uh, option to wear a yellow armband um, for a non-combatic character. There are act- there are a few players who um, we kind of know aren't 
really they aren't super big into combat and they do have a certain tell which is looking at you with intense fear in their eyes and slowly <laughs> backing away <laughs> but, <laughs> but beyond that no gee i wonder if he wants to fight me yes he cowers yeah, no. and then you well then you have to fight him just to prove that you know. well see there's an aspect that like we're even though we're having a role play like it's my motive i i do a martial arts training as well uh where i have a small class of kids and you know so the aspect of um, of training somebody in this uh, strange and mystical art of buffer sorting uh, <laughs> is it, part of my uh, personality as well. And so you oftentimes get the opportunity in the middle of combat to kind of like uh, encourage some of these players um, and cast members uh to oh no bring your guard up or oh don't don't hold your sword like that or and we've yeah, actually i have a couple of characters that go out as trainers to kind of tailor um or give some of the people some opportunity to get better at, at their sword play you know so it's i guess maybe it is because we are a smaller group um, we center on uh advancing our, our players uh combat skills but then you know that only adds to everything, anyways. Uh, the better mm-hmm. the people have that are not just you know fearfully hiding behind their their shield and and poking out once in a while. I mean that that's that's no fun for anybody. Mm-hmm. Levi is just trying to achieve his end game of creating a generation of people that knows how to fight with weapons like it's the Middle <laughs> Ages again. It's, if we could all go back to swords, <laughs> nice. Might solve some problems. Apocalypse might happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I was just talking to uh, another player at our game online about uh, becoming myself, you know, a better fighter. Um, not so much like I want to be able to win all the fights, which would be nice, but, you know, creating the right experience, whether I, um, you know, NPCing and I'm fighting against somebody who's a way better fighter than me, you know, I want to give them a challenge. Right. right. And, you know, I, I think I'll enjoy my game better when I know the people I'm playing with are enjoying themselves better because of the experience of fighting me. And, and he talked about yeah. that, um, you know, that he, he's been LARPing, you know, a long time also, and is happy to have some sparring sessions, lessons or lessons or whatever. Uh, and even if we wanted to do it at an event in game, you know, in character, that's a make, blast. Yeah. It would, yeah. And it would make sense because we're both like fighter type characters. So, and I wanted to say one thing, like based off of that, uh, heavy com- or, or medium-based combat does not necessarily mean that you hit harder. Like, sure. you know, people automatically assume that that heavier combat means that people are swinging harder. That's not really that. That really is the major misconception. It really means that, like what you're saying, is you're just uh, you're becoming a better sword player or, or you're becoming better with your weapon um, mm-hmm. and you're trying different moves that actually uh, would get you somewhere, you know, um, instead of just these ultralight taps that really don't teach anybody anything. And so I want to, I want to establish the, or, or stand up against that misconception that, that, that heavier combat does not necessarily mean you're swinging harder. It just means that you're, you're making more realistic movements with your weapon Um and uh, you're trying to counter attacks. You're blocking more properly. Um, you're hitting properly. You're going for different different strikes on the person's body rather than just tap 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 to their shoulder. Um, you know, so right. Yeah, I sort of intentionally do that. 
like never hit the same body part twice, you know, always yeah, yeah. try to hit the arm, then the leg, switch the other side, you know, to, uh, cause I think it re they were like really the first game we played, they, um, uh, they marshaled machine gunning pretty heavily. Uh, Mm-hmm. So that would kind of, you know, deliberately know that I made the 45 or 90 degree swing I needed to make or whatever. Right. Yeah. When I was glancing through your rule book, I noticed the, uh, you had a, a ring system for experience. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. That is kind of a unique aspect of ours. Yeah, um, talk about that a little bit. It seemed unique. So a lot of role plays I've gone to, you know, you either get, uh, you either get an experience for coming and a set experience for coming. Um, uh, and that's primarily the the only way that I've I think the vast majority you just got a set chunk of experience when you came. Yeah, that's all yeah. I've ever experienced. So uh, I wanted, like I said before, I, I had a problem with a bunch of ways that typical role plays are are done, and I wanted to get rid of that. Um, so we do give uh, a certain amount of experience for coming, but it's a very low level. Um, and the rest of it is based upon your effort. So, for example, everybody knows Skyrim pretty much. Um, a, using that as an example, when you pick a lock, you get experience, right? When you pick a pocket, you get experience. When you kill somebody with a great sword, you get experience. When you uh, kill somebody with a short sword, you get experience. So um, everything you do in the game, there's the potential to gain experience from it. So in the game, we have these rings, which is just a three-quarter inch PVC pipe that's sliced into rings. And uh, the cast members have a pocket load of these when they go out. Now, if you're a merchant and you're a cast member and you go out and you sell vials to somebody and that person says, uh, okay, so how much is your health serums? And, well, it's it's, it's six silver. Okay, so it's six silver. The player hands you the six silver and walks off and, well, that's all fine, good. But if the player sits there and barters with you and says, well, I have three silver and I have this this piece of junk that I just picked off of a lug uh, and and really goes through the role-playing, then that NPC has the option to give them some experience for going through that role-playing. Or if somebody picks a lock, we have actual lock picking in the game where you have to uh, stick the shim inside the lock or pick the lock. And when you open the lock, there's a couple of rings, depending on the difficulty of the lock, hooked on the lock that the players can get. Every time they kill a creature, if they kill a lug, which is one of our largest uh, uh, robots, then they're going to get you know, five experience rings that the lug throws out when he dies. But if he, if somebody just kills some brigand that's in some back alley, they might get one or none um, mm-hmm. for experience. So what that does is that gives the player, dependent upon that effort, it gives them the chance to increase their experience level um, dependent upon their effort. Cool. Have you found that anyone has felt cheated or they, I mean I'm, I'm, you're saying it's based on what they you know their effort and that that sounds cool but do you feel like someone felt they should have gotten experience and didn't if a group kills a lug like how does that experience does everyone right and that adds a very interesting aspect to the game because uh, it, what they're viewing those experience rings are is they're viewing them just as much as they view treasure right and so it brings another aspect into the game that may not be 
you know, technically they wouldn't see that experience, right? I mean, it, it, it would be just something that would that uh, their character would gain. Um, but because it is a physical representation, there is actually discussions that get brought up from it. And uh, you kind of have to let that go. Uh, we don't really see, we haven't really seen anybody feel cheated by it because it's amazing on how fair players are. And I think that's, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of, you know, being uh, maimed in one leg and uh, and the oncoming rush of bad guys are coming over the hill. And next thing you know, one of your fellow players is grabbing you up underneath the shoulder and dragging you along to get you out of the way. I mean, it's that type of companionship that you almost see even in the experience aspect. And people will divvy that up fairly, even though they are a uh, even though that they are a shady thief type of character, when it comes down to the experience, they'll rob you of all of your gold, but they'll split up the experience among. So. <laughs> I think that should be a t-shirt for your game. <laughs> seems like you're not afraid to try different things, uh, get creative, and like you said, solve those uh, issues, problems. Let's call them opportunities, if you will. Oh, yeah, that's the fun of it. Yeah. I think one of the one of the cool things is for all we kind of joke about them and talk about, you know, how they have a habit of walking straight through every plot line we've ever given them and finding the uh, the easiest and simplest way to destroy everything we've ever built. Um, I think we there's a lot of trust in our in our player base. There's a lot of there's a lot of competence there. And I think that that gives us as cast a really good kind of jumping off point to try new things because we know we can trust them to be, you know, relatively honest in what they're doing. We can trust them to kind of take up new ideas and try new things and just to kind of feel out the world. And I mean, there are some who will be more ready and willing to try something new than others, but overall I think there's a really good level of just us being able to say, you know what? We trust them and we believe in their capabilities. So let's yeah, let's very, throw this at them. Very few players, uh, maybe three players, have I had to take aside and be like, "All right, we saw you take that sleigh to the chest and you ran off. How did you do that?" You know, there, there's there is a great level of honesty in our players. That's for sure. Nice. I was just having a long conversation about trust and distrust among LARP yeah. players and players, players and staff. Now let me let me be clear. The players, their characters, do not trust each other oh, whatsoever. God, no. I mean, oh, we God. have I have been searching for that holy grail of player on player action um, forever, and uh, we certainly have a lot of players that are on very opposite factions. And, and as mm. much as we trust the the players, the characters, however, sure, we have some characters that yeah. look very very shiny and bright that are are not trustworthy. all right that's so i don't know magical i guess thing about larp is there's a lot of things at play at the same time you know oh yeah your your player versus your character what the player wants the character to do what the character would do and it just can be mind-boggling you think about it too much which i tend to do but there's like there's saying you know my character would trust this guy and there's also an entire town of people going um listening to a man say I'm going to attach you to a machine and read your mind and then having the entire town go, eh, we can trust this guy. He's totally on the up. 
<laughs> no way this is going to end badly for anyone. Let me borrow your soul. Yeah, oh, no. sure. Here you go. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you don't have to write paperwork, they will friggin', they will dust you down at the, the door. But if you wander in peddling obviously evil wares, they'll welcome you with open arms and set you up in a house. <laughs> that actually happened. That actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. so you guys being on staff uh has that changed your perspective uh of larping definitely running your own game but also just being like a key staff member has that changed how you play or how you view larp now back from when you maybe just were a player go ahead armand yeah uh it's i'm not really sure i'm terribly qualified to say because i mean beyond like you know, playing in my, with my friends in the woods and fighting with wooden swords and all that when I was younger. Staffing LARP is really kind of, at this point, it's like all that I know. I've played, you know, I've done some as a PC and some like small stuff, but I've become, I think almost to my detriment, very accustomed to not only staffing, but also because of both how this is set up and because of just kind of how long I've been doing this. Um, it has been very, very nice and very kind of uh, enjoyable to play such a large role in the shaping of this world and how the game goes. And I, you know, fully acknowledge that if I were to go to other, especially more established LARPs elsewhere, which eventually I got to get around to doing, but it would be a quite the change from what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't think I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just at this point, this is kind of this is all, this is my world of LARPing is kind of having a nice, a nice, like, you know, God's eye view of a lot of things and being able to kind of move things in directions that I would like them to go. But I mean, that's, that's just me. I don't, I don't have the the greatest experience in the world. So when I played, you know, I, I was one big difference is when you play, you're trying to get ahead, you know, you're trying to, uh, benefit your character, do anything you can. I mean, even if you're uh, you know, a self-deprecating monk, you're still trying to get those skills, um, get mm-hmm. the contacts, um, get more powerful here or there. Um, and as a as a cast member, it's all about entertaining players. Um, your character is, no matter how powerful your character is, it's meaningless compared to the players. Um, you're there for to, to give the players the best possible environment, the best possible experience. Yes, that might mean ripping their guts out and, and, and causing them immense amount of pain, but in the end, they need to win. Um, and uh, I was listening to uh, LARPcast a little while back, and somebody made a comment that all players love two things. They love to be miserable and they love to win. And that's a very true statement that you learn as a cast member. Um, they, they don't want something for free, but they do eventually want to win. And uh, that's, you know, if you don't get that as a cast, then you need to go back to playing. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the other thing that you got to know as a cast, especially a game designer is that nobody's going to see the hundreds of hours that you put into it and appreciate it. I mean, you have to do it because you love to write the world. You love uh, to make these these uh, props and costumes. And 
because nobody's going to sit there and you know, like once in a while you'll get somebody shaking your hand and be like, oh, that's a great job. But nobody's really going to appreciate it. So you have to do sure. it for you, really. That is a great advice. Unfortunately, that means, you know, what, it, LARP being uh, one of my major outlets in life, I don't have that outlet anymore. <laughs> so well, That's fine. It's, it's exactly what I was going to ask job. you. So. Yeah, it's it's now more of a job. Uh, uh, something I have to solve. I keep telling my cast members that, you know, one of these days I'm going to play and then we'll see how, how well I trained you. <laughs> <laughs> do you, um, yeah, quick side question. Do, do your cast members also have players? Like, do they switch back and forth at all or no once once people get on the cast team they don't want to leave it's <laughs> yeah it's uh we have a very tight cast family um we have a couple of cast members that you know are, are pretty much just uh sticks um that that's what they like being uh you know they just like being bodies but as far as our cast group once <clears throat> somebody really gets on it it's just so much fun um I spoil the crap out of them with weapons and, <laughs> yeah. and armor and costumes. Um, and so usually uh, they have no interest in, in going back to player. I do that by design. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I think <laughs> you figured it out. That's behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. When it's more fun to NPC, you don't have to, you know, it's cheaper to NPC or you get points yeah. or whatever, you know. Yeah. So that's awesome. You figured it out. <laughs> we do have a couple of players that are kind of foot in each world. Really. Yeah, well, they've been here since the first game. Uh, we we pretty much have four levels which for each uh, class. They've made it to the fourth level, um, <clears throat> which, by the way, means you can still die quite easily. There's there's no overpowered players in our game, but the point is is that they've been in there long enough um, that they know how not to metagame. Um, and so sometimes we will use those players as an anchor for a plot because they know their way around the map, uh, they know the lore a little bit. Um, and so in that sense, uh, we have a couple of players that, that are privy to, uh, inside information. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That can be one of the tricky things about, like you said, playing on both sides. Yeah. But yeah. Awesome. So what's uh, what's kind of in the near and the distant future for your game? At least that you're hoping for. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> once we have control. <laughs> now, uh, it would be nice for a start. It would be nice to not hemorrhage money every year. That would be yeah, cool. That would be That'd be a cool place. To <laughs> seem as though it's all out of my pocket. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's rough. Um, but uh, what what I would like to see in the near future is... You know, if we could get up to 40 players and 20 cast, like that's not massive, but that would be nice. I'd be perfectly happy if we stayed there. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, I think that that's a good number. I've been to, well, uh, for example, Mythical Journeys, they do a great job with what they have, but they can get massive. I mean, they have, uh, back when I was playing, which was 2008, I think, um, they had a massive amount of, of people that would come and, uh, they just, it's tough to deal with that many people and give all of your players attention. Um, mm -hmm. and that's, that's no fault of, uh, the cast. It's just, 
difficult. You have all of these things happening. Not everybody would write uh, what happened, uh, myself included. And, uh, you know, it's just tough to keep up with all of the plot. So I would, I, I would be perfectly happy with, uh, 40 players and 20 mm-hmm. cast. Uh, I think we could do a lot with that. And then I would like to keep developing the world. I would like to keep, I mean, you see some of the structures that we've made. Um, and I would like to continue making those, um, uh, where I'm working on, uh, this year, I'm trying to get the town of destiny to feel like it's a town so that we have alleyways. We have, uh, kind of a main central street coming up to the fortress and, you know, all those little areas that you don't want to be walking alone because there's a thief around the corner. That's what I would love to create. Um, and then, uh, I want to play, <laughs> I want to get to the point <laughs> I, uh, I could come, you know, I, I created this game. I want to play it now. So, you know, getting it to the point where I have a good enough cast base that, um, they can handle me playing, uh, that would be great. You'll be level one, right? I will come in as level <laughs> one, but I have a, I, I made this game. Uh, I have a, I love it when players find combinations in the, in the uh, skills and, and rules. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've put loopholes in purposefully because if somebody goes through the mechanics of the game and they find a way to make that, um, to their benefit, then they should be rewarded for it. Uh, that's the way I feel. Um, and so you can bet that's exactly what I'm going to do. And so it's just, I can't wait. And it'll, it'll be the, it'll be my cast, my senior cast members, final test. <laughs> well, anything else, uh, before we wrap up, you want to share how, um, if somebody wants to get involved or find out more, what's the best thing to do? We're primarily on Facebook. Uh, that's where I've been posting all of our information. Um, I hope to have a website someday, um, but I'm going to use Facebook for now. Uh, Ruins of Destiny, of Destiny is one word, um, is where you can find us. Um, and uh, we really like to talk to people. Uh, so we have one of our cast members is responsible for um, getting all of the information to people who are interested in, and, uh, we'll send it by email. Um, uh, pretty much a lot of the information I sent you is what is kind of the new player package. Um, and, uh, you know, we, I like to kind of have them be able to ask any questions they want. Um, you know, exactly what the setting is, what we, uh, require, uh, so, you know, if anybody's interested, look us up on Facebook, you can see some of our pictures, um, and Instagram, uh, I think it's ruins of destiny. Yeah. Just, if you want to see, you know, what the world looks like, what some of the characters look like, uh, yeah, we have an Instagram. Um, we have a couple videos up on YouTube, uh, just search ruins of destiny. They're there. They're, it's all GoPro footage. We're trying to find a happy medium of, I think it's under destiny's ruins on YouTube. I think so. Yeah. It's, we got to like consolidate everything. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. Hey, thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, it's great you're gonna, talk. You're going to come up and visit us. <laughs> I'm going to find a way, I think. <laughs> well, thank you very much, uh, Levi and Armand. I uh, definitely enjoyed talking with you guys. You should be proud of your work. It looks awesome and it sounds super interesting and fun. Uh, so anyone in the area, definitely check them out. and Check them out on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. When's, it, when's your next event? 
Uh, yeah, I think it is May 19th. Awesome. Well, hopefully some people hear about it and uh, you get some new people. And I uh, wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.